I want to start something this morning that I'm not sure when we'll finish, probably in the coming weeks, just building a relationship with God. How to build a healthy, stable relationship with God according to what Jesus said. I think we all have a picture of what we think and how that looks and what we've been taught. But in John chapter 10, Jesus begins to outline what he describes a relationship with God actually looks like. And it's very different to sometimes what we've been taught. Let's go to John chapter 10. Firstly, let me just say this. We relate to God based on the covenant that He has with us. He relates to us. God is immutable. The word immutable means unchanging. I like the definition that says, I cannot remember the word, but He doesn't upgrade. He's not an iPhone. He doesn't change. It is not an app. He's God. And He doesn't change. However, He relates to people based on the covenant that He has with them. And one of the greatest confusions or the greatest errors, can I say, in the body of Christ is the mixture of Isaac and Ishmael, the mixture of the old and the new, the mixture of the son of the free woman and the son of the slave woman, the mixture of the old covenant, the law, and the new covenant of grace. And when those two mix together, somebody once said they're two different species. God says when you're born again, you are made new. You're a new creation. That word is a new species. If you take two species and you mix them together, you have a monster. And so some people, they get confused under a little bit of law and under a little bit of grace. And I don't have time to go into that because it's my favorite topic. To truly be set free, to truly have a relationship with the Lord is undergirded understanding the covenant that you're in and that God relates to you that way. Uh, you know, if Moses lied, there was severe punishment for that. But Abraham lied to Pharaoh twice. So did his son about his wife being his sister yet he became more wealthy. So we have to understand, God didn't change his mind. Different covenant. Very different covenant. And he partners and relates to us differently according to the covenant that we're under. Amen? Now, the new covenant is an amazing, an amazing teaching that we don't have time to get onto today, but it's described that it came through Jesus Christ, and it's described as grace and truth. Grace is unmerited favor. The favor, the blessing purchased by someone else put upon you. That's what grace is, unmerited favor. You, it's not based on your merits, it's based on His. The robe of righteousness that you wear in the New Testament is based on the righteousness that Jesus has, not on yours. It's an incredible truth and it's very deep, but it's the starting place of all relationship. We cannot build a relationship with the Lord if we don't actually understand what the cross has done because we will start to relate to Him in a very different way. We want to perform for Him or we want to please Him in a way of works and it doesn't work. It doesn't, doesn't seem to fit. And so grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth is that which sets at liberty. It's that which sets free. And to the degree that you actually have a relationship with Jesus, you'll see freedom in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in the way you think, in the way you treat other people, freedom. And when I first really began to understand grace, I began to beat people with it. You need to understand grace. And the Lord very gently explained to me that perhaps you should be gracious. And... Um, <laughs> And then I started to understand a little bit more. But the Bible says in John 1, 17, For his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. That's grace piled upon grace. That's what it means. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So from that basic understanding of relationship, that we stand on the work of Jesus Christ, on that foundation, nothing else, nothing else. When you stand on there... We have to understand that Jesus didn't just come and die to deal with the issue of sin, the inherent sin we have from the garden, from the fall, to deal with the issue of sin so that we can go to heaven. 
He dealt with the issue of sin so that he could call us into a relationship. It's always been his desire, friends. It's always been his desire to call a people into a relationship with him. Throughout the scripture, throughout every covenant, the God is trying to communicate with people. And there's all these fancy doctrines that have come up about he doesn't speak like this and he doesn't do this. Across every covenant, he wants to speak to you. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. In a Hebrew word, know, where it says Adam knew Eve, his wife. Incredible intimacy. Not in the Greek understanding of I understand God because I've studied him. No, I know him. And he desires this relationship with us that you don't see well expressed sometimes in the body of Christ today because we're very linear and it, it has to break our boxes and make us uncomfortable and break our understanding and sometimes specifically for men, for them to say that actually I love God and I do love God. And so Jesus... <laughs> He calls us into relationship, and he actually wants us to go from relationship into a position of where you can co-labor with him. Let me say, God loves to co-labor with your endeavors. For businessmen, I encourage you, bring him into it. He actually desires to speak creation and creativity and, and ideas and architecture. I mean, he is the best businessman. He's the best entrepreneur. He kind of made the earth, so he knows what he's doing. And I think sometimes when businessmen are made to feel like second-rate Christians, they get very upset because they call to that. They call to that. And sometimes they think, well, we're not the same kind of Christian because we're not a pastor. Well, I'm called to this. If I did that, I'd be, in a sense, failing part of me. If you did this, you, we do what God has called us to do. And it's a team. It's a family. But to have an understanding that he desires to co-labor with us. He wants to co-labor with your endeavors, but he also wants you to co-labor with his endeavors. It's something that's beyond our framework sometimes. We see it in the garden before the fall. God brings the animals to Adam, and he gets to speak identity over another part of God's creation because there was no sin yet. He gets to speak names. He gets to name them. He gets to speak identity into something that God made and not him. He desires, actually, through relationship for you to co-labor with his endeavors. It's an incredible thing. But that is the heart of God. So, we're going to go to John chapter 10. I know the time, so there's no way that we'll get through this. I'm not Joshua. I cannot make the sun stand still. <laughs> so, John 10 verse 1 says, Most assuredly I say to you, he does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, John 10, as I said, is the way Jesus describes the new type of relationship that he wants to have with people. We have to understand they were coming from a relationship based on a code and a system and a law and a rule and consequence, if not, if you don't obey. Jesus starts to portray a relationship that's going to look very different from anything they've understood or realized before. And this is, in a sense, his basic outline of it. This is what it's going to look like. He says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. That's food. Okay? The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know the word thief or the word enemy is actually the word kleptus. It's where we get our word kleptomaniac. He actually cannot help himself but do what he wants to do, which is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And one of the fundamental principles you see God and Jesus outlining in this, how was the, what's this relationship going to look like, is he wants us to understand who's good and who's not good. There's a whole lot happening in the world that people put on God that is not him. So we'll get into that. That went down well. So, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold. He's speaking about Gentiles. And them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. The word voice there is actually spelled phone in the Greek. It's phonetic voice. It's not just logos. They will hear my voice. That's you. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. So, first thing that we're going to see, I think I put it on the slide, if you could throw it up, that there's multiple characters in our relationship with God. This text outlines something very interesting. Jesus is saying, in your relationship with me, you know like a movie has all the different characters and roles? This is something of what we will face in our relationship with Jesus. There's a good shepherd. There's under shepherds, which are ecclesiastical authority, pastors, elders, so forth. There's other sheep. Oh, boy. That can be interesting. The Bible says, we cannot say, I have no need of you. To have a healthy relationship with God includes other sheep. And sometimes they bite. But, you know, at least their teeth are flat. So, under shepherds, other sheep, the enemy. The enemy is described for me in two ways. The stranger's voice, which are false shepherds, thieves, and robbers, and wolves. And then there's also hirelings. So, we have to understand that there's multiple characters in your relationship with God, and your walk with God. Some of these things are going to come up. And Jesus is saying... The ability for you to partner with me individually has moved away from just a mediator, a prophet, or a king to you and me. So you have to understand some of this is going to take place in my relationship with you, and I need you to be able to distinguish what's me and what's not me. Make sense? That's the birthplace of relationships. So point one, if we had points, which will probably be what we just covered today, is recognition. In our relationship with Jesus, we, relationship requires recognition for us to be able to recognize who he actually is, not who we've been told he is, not what we learned in children's church, and I hope they're teaching wonderful things, well, I know they are, but not through our filters, not through who is Jesus really. It's a good question. Relationship requires recognition, and recognition releases multiple things. Worship and faith. 
Let's go to let's go to the worship one. Recognition releases worship. The context of John chapter ten is John chapter nine. That's genius. But it actually is about a, a man or a boy who is born blind. And there's never in history been a person that is born blind. That, that's what it says. He says, never in history. That's what the man says, in other words, in the scripture. And uh, Jesus heals this boy. We know he was of age because his parents said he's of age because the Pharisees were questioning the parents. And they said, he's of age, ask him, because they were afraid that they were going to be cast out of fellowship of the synagogue. So, which just means he was over 13. But the fact that they called the parents, he was probably a teenager of some sort. So this boy, or this, let's call him a man, has a progressive revelation of who Jesus actually is. You see in the beginning of the chapter, when he heals him, they said to him, uh, how were your eyes opened? He said, a man called Jesus. He calls him a man. And the Pharisees cannot believe what had happened. They cannot recognize, how can this happen? How can this be? Because they think Jesus broke the law, and that's all they really care about. So they ask him again. Tell us again, in a sense. They said, others said, how can this man be a sinner to such signs? And there was a division. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because you're the one, in a sense, got healed. He says, oh, he's a prophet. So he goes from man to prophet. And then they start questioning him. So they called the man again, the blind man, and said to him, give God the glory, because this man, Jesus, this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, listen, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. Now the pressure comes, and who's had that in your relationship with the Lord? Pressure comes, and you're like, listen, I don't know. I don't know so much anymore. I'm not so sure. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that I was blind, and now I see. Then, something very interesting happened. In verse, actually we'll get there later, but he says, he reveals to this man that he is the Son of God. It's one of the first time he actually reveals it. Now, it's interesting because he was afraid that he'll be cast out of the synagogue. To be cast out of the synagogue actually meant this. It was a severe punishment. You were put outside of the community, which no contact with God's people. You were excluded from the system that they had of mutual provision and protection. You were not allowed to conduct business with anyone who had been cast out. You were excluded from all Jewish sacred assemblies, including the rituals of atonement. So to them, that means cut off from God, cut off from His forgiveness, cut off from everything. You had no family, no money, no protection, and then no forgiveness, no relationship with God. You were cut off. And these people, these Pharisees, it says here, they became proud. They said, you are teaching us. You were born in your sins, and they cast him out. All he did was tell the truth and get healed, and they cut him off, and he was a young man. Jesus hears about this. And he comes and finds this man. It actually says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and he went to find him. And he said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? He says, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believed. And he worshipped him. To recognize who Jesus is, we have to understand the context of what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 10 is that the Pharisees were the ones who were supposed to be the under-shepherds to open the door. They were supposed to be the doorkeepers to show people who Jesus actually is. And they could not. They could not see him. They could not recognize him. This man recognized. He recognized. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And recognition releases worship. Real worship. In spirit and in truth. Not lip service. Worship. Even if you've lost everything in that process. Because he's the reward. In the kingdom, there's always much to be done, 
But the fulfillment of a task is not the reward, it's the person. It's the relationship that you build in the process. It's the discovery that you make of God in the process. That's the reward. And this young man understood that. He really, really understood that. Recognition also releases faith. If you go to Matthew 23, Matthew 23, 5, how does recognition release faith? And I'll explain. It says here in Matthew 23, 5, all their works, this is Jesus speaking about the Pharisees again, all their works they do to be seen by men, and they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge in the, the borders of their garments. Phylacteries were small boxes containing Bible passages that were worn on the forehead of the arm. A border is the reference to the hem of the garment and the tassels on the corners. It was in order to remind Israel of God's laws. In order to seem more righteous, some hypocrites would make their phylacteries, those boxes with all the scripture, conspicuously large. Look how much of the Bible I know. Literally, it was happening way back then, it's still happening today. Would make their phylacteries conspicuously large and their tassels unusually long. Look how righteous I am. But with all their pomp and ceremony, with all their religious activity, they could not recognize Jesus who was standing in front of them. They could not see the Messiah has come. John chapter 5, Jesus speaking to them, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think as you have eternal life. He says, but you don't have the word of God abiding in you. He said that to people who knew the Bible off by heart. He said, you do not have the word of God abiding in you because you search the scriptures, and in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they, the scriptures, that speak of me, and you have yet to come to me. He says, the scriptures speak of me. The, the word of God should eventually bump you up into an experience with the person, with the living word. And he said, the living word is standing in front of you and you cannot see him with all your phylacteries and your fancy tassels. The woman with the issue of blood, who knows the scripture in Malachi 4.2? It says, the son of righteousness, capital S, capital R. It's a, it's a prophetic picture of talking about the Messiah. The, the son of righteousness, Malachi 4.2, will rise with healing in his wings. Who's heard that scripture? That word wings in the Hebrew actually means tassels or the edge of a garment. It was the last prophetic book that came before the Messiah came. They were raised with an understanding that when the Messiah comes, he will hold healing in the edge of his garment. So the woman with an issue of blood comes. So the Pharisees are there with all their, you know, making the edge of their garments long and long tassels that look, but there's no life released in them. There's nothing. It's just garment. The woman with the issue of blood sees Jesus. What does she do? She touches the edge of his garment. Meaning what? She's commended for her faith. Friends, we have to understand that a lot of faith is not based on this intense, I'm believing. God, you know, mm, doesn't, no. She recognized who he was before many other people did. He hadn't declared, I am he. he hadn't, Peter hadn't, you're the Christ. That hadn't happened. She recognized on her own, that's the Messiah. And if he's the Messiah, there's healing in the edge of his garment. So she went up and broke four laws doing it and touched the edge of his garment with everyone bashing him. And he said, virtue without power, what happened? Because someone recognized who he actually is. And Jesus commends her for faith. All she did was recognize who he was. 
to recognize who Jesus actually is for you in your life, the response, the instant response will be worship, real worship. The natural response will be faith. Not this faith, faith, no. Peace, faith. The God of peace will crush Satan, not the God of war. Faith will flow from you because you recognize he is who he says he is. That's faith. Gave access to the life that he carried around him. Jesus said in this relationship in John 10, I have come to give life. When you recognize who he actually is, you have access to that life. And that life changes everything. That's Zoe vitality in the Greek. So lastly, recognition. Recognition of his voice. Let's go to John chapter 10 again. We'll close with this. The reason we do this is because so many people say, oh, it's not about rules, it's relationship. It's not about this, it's just relationship. But how do you actually build a relationship with God? How do you practically build a relationship, begin to build a relationship with God? The interesting thing is the boy's parents couldn't help him. At some point in your life, there will come a place where you almost have nothing left and deep calls to deep. That's what happened to that young man, where deep from inside you, you begin to cry out, God, who are you? When I came back to the Lord, out of the world of drugs and so forth, I was raised in a Christian home. And I wrote down some questions, 15, 20, I don't even know, a long time ago. Who is God? Who am I? What has he done? I wrote about six questions down, and I started to begin to answer those questions in here for the next 10 years until I discovered who is he really? Who is he really? Because at some point, even amazing parents, amazing people that travel the world and preach the gospel, his parents couldn't help him. It's a personal issue. It's between you and him. You and him. Amazing. And you start to discover who is he. And so in John chapter 10, when Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way. You know what he's talking about? Many people think there he's talking about sheep entering, about getting saved. He's not. He's talking about shepherds. He is the door, and he is the great shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And he's saying to the Pharisees, if you do not enter by me, if you don't see me, then you're not a shepherd. That was the context. He says, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd. He's talking the, the shepherd who comes through, opens the door and lets the sheep in and out and find pasture and life and peace and food and each other and community. He says, to him, the doorkeeper opens. Let me just say this. Pastors, elders, whoever, doorkeeper is actually the word under-shepherd. The word under-shepherd, it's what I am. It amazes me the risk that God takes in allowing flawed individuals to have such access to his bride. It amazes me. It amazes me. And how we think that we can control anybody else with that model. It amazes me. But 
what is the, the number one for me? Jesus speaking. I know Paul had many things that we need vision, we need the, the government of God, we need understand apostles and prophets. All those things are vital and important. But with Jesus, what was his main function of a shepherd, of an overseer, of a pastor? Main function? To open the door so that when people look through the door, they see Jesus and not you. To show them Christ. To show them what he's done. To introduce them to his presence and to his voice. Everything else follows after that. It says, to him, to Jesus, the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice. His voice, that's you. We've run out of time. It's going to speak on how do we recognize the voice of the Lord. Let me just say this. There's certain aspects that Jesus says here, the sheep hear his voice, not just leaders or prophets or kings or friends. We have to understand he wants to speak to you. He wants you to hear his voice. He has determined that he says, actually he says it later, he says, my sheep follow me for the, the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. Jesus, teaching about what this relationship would look like, said, I will lead with my voice. The African shepherds, I used to see them. Actually, I never saw them. I heard about it, but it was in a country that I'd been to up in Sudan. And they, to train the sheep to hear their voices, they had all the different flocks together in a big pen, and they would come at night and stand over a hill on the other side. And the shepherd would start to call. And the sheep, all their sheep would come out and split up in all crazy to each shepherd. They knew the voice. They couldn't see him, think about it, but they knew his voice. Jesus' description of this relationship is you'll follow because you know my voice, not because you can see me and not because of some experience, because you know my voice. It's how he chooses to lead with his voice. Because whenever he speaks, it brings life. It's the reason he says we follow. It's the way he chooses to lead, and it's all people to hear. I'll have to get into that in the next few weeks. One more thing I have to say. It's just too good. The Hebrew word for prophecy, um, it means bubble up. To bubble up. There's a word in the, in the Old Testament which speaks about the enemy speaking, and it means to boil up. When the enemy speaks, when we're learning to discern, because part of the relationship with Jesus, he's saying you have to discern between all these different characters. Friend, most hurt in the church, most hurt in the church comes from something that we think was God and was one of those other things. It was a hireling, an under-shepherd, a bad leader, or the enemy, or something. We put on him, which was not him. And the word boil up means it's going to cause pressure. When the enemy speaks to you, even if it sounds like the Lord, it'll feel like pressure inside of you. Ambition. I have to. I must. When the Lord speaks to you, it bubbles up. It bubbles up. It, it brings forth, and it's life. It's easy. It's different. It doesn't cause pressure. When you speak to you, you're analytical. You know, that's your voice. At night, that's your voice. The Lord will bubble up. The enemy will cause pressure. And you will overthink everything. Learn his voice. So we're going to get into that. Amen? Because he is the great shepherd. Why don't we stand?